This episode of the Kutu Muay Thai Podcast is brought to you by PMTLifestyle.com, authentic Muay Thai lifestyle by Kutu. Definitely go check out the website at PMTLifestyle.com for some awesome lifestyle merchandise. That's for those of you out there either involved in Muay Thai, looking at getting involved in Muay Thai, and embrace a healthier lifestyle to live the life of Nak Muay. Go check it out. So Wadi Kop, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Pu'u Muay Thai Podcast. All right, guys. This, today, we have Coach Josh again here with us. How you doing today, bro? Very well. What about you? Good. Just enjoying the Sunday. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Just had some blenders and stuff, hanging out. Um... Yeah, so we were going through, I had Kevin on yesterday, talked a little bit about his 30 years of martial arts and stuff too, uh, and wanted to re- get together and record some stuff and really shift to like Muay Thai, because I get a lot of questions from people, like, and things that's funny, it's for the reason we have some of the pictures on the wall at the academy, is we have people that have asked me like, have you fought? <laughs> yeah, yeah, have you ever fought before? Um, Which is a legitimate question because yeah. a lot of coaches and whatnot, like a number of them might never have had a fight. And they yeah. be telling you about shit, their theory or their philosophy. Yeah. And, you know, there's I, that's a whole other conversation. Like if, if somebody's never fought before, can they coach fighters? That's a whole other like, thing, right? Uh, there's, there's a couple of successful coaches who never really fought. And they have a lot of experience coaching fighters. There's something to be said for that too, um, but I that's one of those things that always like kill me. Like, oh man. <laughs> yeah, really so. Yeah, um, you know I think part of it is like Muay Thai, especially here in like Ventura. There's there's none. So yeah. When people ask that, I can understand where it's coming from because maybe they just enrolled like, hey, they looked up Muay Thai Academy and started training with us. Like, oh, I want to train Muay Thai, and then they start asking questions later once they start learning more about it. So, I th- I'm pretty sure I ended up busting out, busting one of our students on Reddit, actually, like, asking questions, and I answered it. I forget what it was, but it was, like, imper- in pertaining to, like, uh, training, and I-, I was, like, 99% sure it was one of our students, because of the question they were asking, mm-hmm. and I-, I answered it, and it-, it says I'm the, like, gym owner, it has my name and stuff on, like, Reddit. I thought it was pretty funny, because they was probably like, oh, shit. <laughs> That's comical. Yeah. Um... How's this looking? Okay. Yeah, we're good. On yeah. That one. Um. So, yeah, Josh has helped me out with some of the mixing for the podcast and stuff as well, make them sound a little bit better, which I'm grateful for. So yeah. you've been doing sound stuff for how long now? Twelve years I've been studying it, and I had like a mentor and all that for a long time. Classes, different coaches. Mm-hmm. Very little of it is formal though. Yeah. So you're doing a lot of that stuff when I first started training. For sure. That, right. that was my Muay Thai. Yeah, for, for, a, was for a while. That was your discipline that you did. Yeah, I'm still doing it, yeah. low-key. Um, so, I, I know I was talking to you, and I was like, hey, you know, with a lot of these questions that came out, since you were, essentially saw me from, like, day one, because you're my brother. Before day one, day Before sure, day obviously. one, yeah. Um, and building into becoming, like, martial arts instructor, fighter, athlete, all that stuff that's entailed with running an academy, business owner. Um, I thought you'd be a good person to come on and bounce some stuff off of because of that. Definitely. Yeah. So uh, I guess one of the most common questions people have is like, you know, I have, I'm sure people have asked you this, is like, hey, how did you get started? 
Oh, for sure, the beginning of it. See, I guess that's where I come in, because I remember from day one, that would be West Coast Jiu-Jitsu? Uh, West Coast uh, Jiu-Jitsu? Yeah, uh, where I started at? Yeah. Yeah, I started off at West Coast Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. Well, if you go back even further than that, what would we do, like a boxing class that like... Like an fitness. LA Fitness place, something like that? I don't know that yeah. I count that. No. <laughs> so I'll tell you that West Coast is where you started. Yeah. Um, yeah, I started training there with Fred, rest in peace, uh, Fred Lemus. Yeah. Uh, and he was, he was pretty young then, too. I didn't really know the experience level. And it was pretty funny, actually. Like, I'd, I remember Googling, like, Muay Thai gyms nearby because I'd seen, like, a lot of martial arts online. I was looking up stuff. This is when YouTube wasn't as big as it was now. Barely, <laughs> Obviously, barely getting started. Yeah, it was just like really starting to pick up. Um, that was what two thousand seven or two thousand six. I think is when I first started looking up this kind of stuff. <sighs> and I, I was like, hey, I want to find a martial art that I can do. I saved up a bunch of money out of high school working, and uh, was like, hey, I want to. Go to martial arts. That's something I want to do. It's something we wanted to do since little, we're little. Yeah, little kids. We weren't yeah. allowed to do it because of our parents. Yeah, our parents said no. Or our dad specifically said no. Which actually, you know, looking at now, would have been probably the best thing that he could have done. And he's like, no, here's a surfboard. You could have a bunch of terrible role models. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, yeah, you know, it's funny, like... Shout out to like uh, was it Adam Veers, you know? Yeah, he was really, really talented. Yeah, he's a super talented surfer here in the area, if anybody knows him. I mean, you know what? Are you following him on Instagram? I'm not sure if I am or not. I want to find him and, and go find him and uh, get him on this. Yeah. I guess I have to look him up after this. Should tag him in it. Yeah. <laughs> and what was it? Bobby Martinez. He was not like really bad influence. He was younger no, than was, Adam. Yeah, he was, he was a really talented, driven guy. So. Yeah. That was a good influence, probably. Uh, like, you know, I know we had a few other surfer guys that were working at that shop. That's, that's just another conversation we could talk about, yeah. for sure. But yeah, he threw a surfboard in our hands, and you were more into surfing than I was. Yeah, I got dragged initially kicking and screaming, but after I did that Dave Smith Surf Academy, I did a couple summers. Yeah, that's I, in Santa Barbara, right? In yeah. yeah. And uh, Rincon is when it, where it was at originally. Yeah. But that got me into it, for sure. I'm grateful for that experience, but... Mm. Uh, yeah. I remember I, I didn't it was like I got forced into doing it and I did it like once like actually like did the surf camp after that I just hung out on the beach essentially yeah it wasn't for you per se. no no definitely not uh, and our cousin Devin was doing karate and our cousin Krista too yeah and I really wanted to do like it was Kimbo karate. karate back then <laughs> seeing Karate Kid and like Ninja Turtles shit like that um, so uh, going in, going into martial arts, you know, I had that money saved up. I looked up, like, Muay Thai, specifically, because I, I looked up all these YouTube videos. There wasn't a whole lot of them, but I was like, I think I want to do Muay Thai. It looks, looks fucking badass. Uh, it looks effective. Yeah. So, hey, punch, punch, kick, knee, elbow, clinching. Uh, I, I downloaded a bunch of, like, torrents of, like, highlight videos back then. That was before they had them on YouTube. Yeah, no I, one I, uploaded. Yeah, I used to I download a bunch, put them onto like uh, DVDs so I could watch them and stuff like that. Intriguing. I yeah. didn't know that. So uh, I'd get, yeah, it was like Ramon Deckers, Coban, and all these other guys. I downloaded all the stuff on like, uh, I can't even remember the name of the torrent website I got mm. it from back then, but that's why I was scraping them together then because it wasn't on YouTube. Now it's so easy to access that shit. Yeah. Just look it up. Creepy. So you started at West Coast after you gathered a bunch of yeah. videos together. Well, what, what ended up happening actually is like I, they closed. 
So when I first looked it up, it was like, oh, we're out of business. So I was like, well, fuck. Um, that sucks. <laughs> I saw the nearest place was like in, I think at the time was Muay Thai Academy in North Hollywood. Hmm. There's a couple other places, but I was like, they're all near each other. I'm like, I'll go, I would go to Muay Thai Academy, but I'm like, obviously I didn't even have my driver's, I had my driver's license, but I didn't even have a car. Um, so I got a heavy bag off of like Craigslist or some shit and hmm. hung up in our dad's carport and just watched as much Muay Thai as I could. I'm like, okay, I, I know I can run. I know I can do sit-ups, push-ups, squats, and uh, do what I can imagine would be Muay Thai. <laughs> Hmm. And uh, I, I did that for a couple months. I remember doing that for a couple months, and like I had a couple of our friends who did that karate and kung fu, and so I just like trained with them a little bit. And eventually, like I, I looked up again. I'm like, hey, okay, I, like I, I really want to do this. Let's let's find that place that's uh, down in North Hollywood again. Maybe I can figure out a way to go down there. So I look up more type places, and I saw that. West Coast Jiu-Jitsu at the time had, it said, you know, grand reopening. I was like, oh, they moved. <laughs> so I called them up. Um, I talked to Fred, and he got me to come in for like a trial lesson. It sounded like he was kind of like, yeah, whatever, because they probably get so many calls about people coming in. I uh, showed up. They had like a one-week trial. Uh, I went in the first day on like a Saturday, and I remember throwing up. <laughs> yeah, that's a common rite of passage. Yeah, I remember right? throwing up. It was a conditioning day. Mm. And I believe the next time I went in, it was like, they made me spar. I remember I had like a bloody nose. <laughs> and I remember crying, like to myself, like afterwards, like, ah, suck. Like, yeah, of course you suck. <laughs> You've never, yeah. never trained before. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just that, that kind of like hard start. I remember like debating like whether I go back. And I came back. And I remember Fred's like, oh, I didn't think you were going to come back. <laughs> That first day, though, it was funny. It's funny to note. Uh, shout out to Coach Todd, because he was one of the first people that I sparred with there on that day, and he was actually one of the few people that was actually nice to me. Uh, so take that for what you will. Uh, and we've been friends ever since. So so uh, I showed back up, and he's like, oh, crap, like, I didn't think you're going to be back. And I remember, like, you know, signing up for, like, a year package, like, where I got my sparring equipment and stuff like that. And we did a smoker a few weeks later, or a few months later, sorry, not a few weeks, like, I think it was like three or four months later. But I just remember like totally trying to envelop everything that I was learning, keep watching, and you know, we weren't even hitting pads then, it was kick shields, heavy bags, hmm. and there was like, and sparring, that yeah. was it. Uh, I remember the first time Fred held pads for me, it was like on like a Saturday, one of the guys there who did a couple smokers was, he was holding pads for him, and he held a round, I think he held two rounds for me, or one round, I remember fucking dying. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, their first smoker like three months four months into it because they had one in house there when smokers were still legal and then you know I just totally got hooked to it I did the smoker because like one of uh, my friend Roy I think signed me up on it Roy Corona yeah yeah. he's like dude you should do it and he's like I put your name up on it just do it <laughs> like, alright let's just do it fuck it so Rand did as much training as he could and everything like that too it was it was an interesting time um, and we did a couple more smokers after that. Uh, it's like Crew X's gym and stuff like that too. I remember Crew Crew X, Ajon Rex, rest oh, in peace. R.I.P. For sure. Yeah, another person who's passed away in the past like year, two years. Um, 
But it, I remember them being there. I remember being at his place when it got shut down by the Athletic Commission. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, the Larry from the Athletic, State Athletic Commission. If anybody here's in California that's fought on, like, a pro show or, like, when CSAC was sanctioning amateur stuff, you'd know Larry. He's a loud black guy that was yelling at everybody. And he's very stern. He's very firm. And it would be, you know, quite frank. He's a nice guy. If he hears this, I love you, man, but you're also a dick sometimes. <laughs> um but totally, and everybody will agree with it, and I'm, I'm pretty sure he agreed with it. He's like, oh, I'm doing my job. Yeah, that's part of it. <laughs> uh, but uh, after a year, they were arranging a trip to Thailand, uh, and we're just training a lot as much as we could and watching, like, more and more videos were coming up, more content was coming up online. And uh, they were arranging a trip to Thailand with this guy, Noe, who had been over there during in the Navy. Hmm. He was stationed over there for a little bit in Thailand. He's like, hey, I know a place we can go to. They'll pick you up, all that stuff. I'm like, well, totally like, oh, crap. Okay, let's do it. So I committed to go, but, like, I barely had enough money to get a plane ticket, I think, at the time, when it came time to buy the tickets. So I didn't buy my ticket with a group. Um, and I remember talking to our mom. And she's like, no, you, you really want this. You've been working your butt off to, like, save up. You have to go. Yeah. So, uh, you get that from one parent, but the, from the other parent, it's like, say. no, you need to buy a car now and get a regular job yeah. and do all this stuff that your older brother Josh is doing, even though I ultimately told you to do what the fuck you want. And yeah, that and that came back even more later. Uh, that first time, he didn't say that. He didn't say not to go. But yeah, he, I don't think he was really for it because he didn't like me fighting. Yeah. You know, he told me, like, I remember talking, like, oh, I got my ass kicked sparring. He's like, well, you want to do it, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, then you should go back. That was, like, a piece of advice he did give me that was, like, encouraging. So, uh, I remember telling our mom, she's like, well, I have one of my friends who's a travel agent at AAA. If you guys uh, aren't here in the U.S., AAA is, like, a travel agency, uh, car insurance, all that stuff. But they, they have, like, ties in with um, travel agents to get, like, good plane tickets. So, we went over there, and she's like, okay, what's your budget? I think I was like, hey, I have 1300 bucks. Can we make it happen? And I think the f trip was, like, a month away. Like two months away or something like that. Mm -hmm. She's like, okay, well, we can figure it out. So she made some phone calls and she ended up giving me a flight over there. And funny enough, my layover, which was in Japan, I flew um, on United. I flew on United last time when oh, I went to Thailand. It sucked. Mine was fine. It was oh, actually nice. Mine sucked. Yeah, but it, it was a long time ago. Back yeah, then. yeah, it was. That was 2008, yeah. I believe. Yeah, 2008. That's 10 years before I you Yeah, know I mean? before you went. Yeah. So uh, I just remember. Um, Roy's my friend Roy Corona's flight would connect to mine in Japan I remember being like so grateful because it's the first time like I've been out of the country by myself like first international flight like that I think the last time I had actually flown was in when I was four years old when I went Hawaii? to Hawaii yeah sure. so I went from doing uh, from being four years old and doing like a six hour flight to being you know 18 years old or 19 years old I think it was 19 it was right before my 19th birthday. And going over to Thailand and doing like this long 26-hour travel. <laughs> yeah, it's substantial, but it's yeah. good for, you know, developing as a person. Yeah, and uh, I remember getting over there and uh, finally getting to like, we got to uh, Suvannapum Airport in Bangkok. And me and Roy got there and we had to wait for our friends' flights. And there was a phone number for the gym. We tried calling them. It didn't connect. But we didn't have international SIM cards, so I don't know what the fuck we were calling. I remember asking some guy there, I'll probably, mind the dogs, guys. <laughs> I've been try, I was trying to t 
talk to somebody there. If you've never been there before um, and you didn't know this, then you wouldn't know that these guys are scammers. They're outside of the gate. Uh, we're outside of like the International Rivals Gate. And he's like, oh, I'll call the place for you. And he called, he quote unquote called. And then he's talking and then he's like, oh no, they said they already came, they already left. So I can get you a taxi there for like, I was like 200 bucks. We're like, uh, no, we'll just wait. Yeah. So the next thing you know, like maybe like a half hour later, the guy kept like eyeballing us, asking like if we wanted to go. We're like, no, no, no. And we ran into our friend Noe, who was already there. He had the sign, like, Noe! That was, like, the happiest moment in my life. I think I still have a picture somewhere of me on, like, super skinny, like, 18-year-old. Yeah. Super tired and jet-lagged so, uh, back then, too. So, rolling it back to being at West Coast, you go into your first trip uh, to Thailand when you're, like, almost 19 with Roy mm-hmm. and all that. So, um, what was your experience like when in your fight camp? Did you stay at the gym or did you stay at a hotel? Yeah, we stayed We stayed at, um, well, they, it was a, not a hotel, but they had apartments that were next, it was like down the street from the gym. Yeah. So, we went to the gym, it's called the Pattaya, Pattaya Combat Club, Combat oh. Group. Oh, yeah, I've seen pictures from that. Yeah, and uh, the guy who ran it at the time, this guy named Christian Doggio, again, rest in peace. Mm. Third person, wow. Yeah, third person. And this podcast is mentioned, rest in peace. He actually, that guy passed away in the ring at a WBC boxing fight. Damn. But uh, on that trip, he actually said, hey, if I'm going to die, it's probably going to eventually be in the ring. So I think he kind of knew he was going to end up going down that path. At least he died doing what he loved, huh? Yeah, exactly. It's an unfortunate scenario for sure. Uh, but he ran this gym over there. He had some Thai trainers and stuff too, Thai wife. And there was a bunch of guys from Italy there in Spain. And he had some awesome trainers that were from City Tongue that worked for him and stuff too. Uh, this guy Crew Talk, he had a really awesome gym. I think he still has one. It's a Cho Na Titong. I think they still have it in Pattaya as well. But I went there and uh, I remember seeing like some of the guys training. It was just very intimidating at first. You're like, oh shit, like I'm here. Yeah, of course these guys yeah. are doing it every day. Yeah, we got there at like two a.m. in yeah. in Pattaya, and it's it's like not if you guys know Pattaya, it's like. On the outer skirts, it was closer to Sityatong. Did you go to Sityatong when you were there, like with mm, Travis? No. No. So it's like, you remember where Fairtex is at? Yeah. So think about like 20 minutes motorbike outside of the city, essentially. Mm. All right. Um, so it's, it's not like super close. So it's not like super near the party centers. You can get there, of course. Uh, it's outside of like, there's like the main road, the Sukhumvit that goes through there. Yeah. Uh, I remember getting there at 2 a.m. and, like, seeing the bats. Like, oh, shit. And we got up the next day and, like, just went, got to training. And I remember seeing a bunch of the people. And I didn't really quite, like, we didn't quite understand the flow. I remember Christian helping us, the, the owner. It's like, hey, like, you know, get on the tire for a little bit if you're not going to run or jump rope. I think that's the first time I used a tie-style jump rope. I just remember being like, fuck. <laughs> wow, you never used one before? Being no, there? no. The, we didn't have those. The quote-unquote weighted jump rope was like a big, thick, heavy rope that was weighted in the handles. Yeah. Yeah, nothing like tie style, like the the access to that kind of stuff. How long like, did you last on a tie jump rope back then? I did the whole thing. I remember my arms burning and bushes in my hand. I think they had us do like 15 minutes, 20 really? minutes. Really? Survive yeah. 15 minutes already? Yeah, well, yeah. like we ran and stuff leading up to it. Like yeah. we made sure we were in shape. Like we trained very hard before we went. Yeah. Uh, like we were doing for our smokers. Like, hey, let's prepare for it. Like we would have fight. Yeah, <laughs> that's the mind, mindset going to Thailand for the first time, too. Yeah, because we knew that we would get the most out of training if we did that. Yeah. I think the first day, we trained two days. I remember the first day in the afternoon, I, I cramped. Yeah. Like, my calf cramped so bad when I was jumping on the tire, cooling down. 
And there was a boxing team from Vietnam there, like the Olympic boxing team was there. Yeah. And this guy, like, I think his name was uh, Lum, he was very nice and he helped me. He's like, oh, cramp. Like, <laughs> can you right away, like, you put my foot in this position. That's when I started learning about what muscle cramps were. Yeah. I didn't know much about them then. Isn't the typical Thai structure, though, it's just two, it is two days. It's one in the morning and then one in the evening. Right? Yeah, one morning, one in the evening, uh, typically. And they, they vary intensities. Each gym has, like, a different formula, too. Yeah. Uh, so we, we went there, we, we did that and we we're training and I remember seeing a couple other beasts that were out there. There's this one guy, uh, actually he had his, one of his knockouts just went viral. It was an elbow knockout. His name is uh, Matthias Gallo. Hmm. Uh, he was out there. He was 14 at the time, 13, I think. And he was fighting pro. Uh, I remember seeing, we went to one of his fights at Tepperzit Stadium. That was the old stadium that was, uh, before Max Muay Thai and stuff was out there. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to say it was owned by Fairtex. Or they had like heavily invested in it because they like, um, I would see like Anthony Lin and uh, Mr. Wong, the owner of Fairtex, would be like ringside all the time. They had like, a VIP section. Yeah. And um, I just remember, you know, seeing that guy hit, hit, kick his back. You know, he's like 14. Like, dude, this guy's gonna be fucking good. And he'd been fighting since he was like nine or something like that, like in Thailand with his family and living over there. And uh, there's people from New Zealand. There's this guy named Tom Lucy that was over there we met. He was an Olympic rower in the 2008 uh, Athens Olympics. So that summer before, he was in the Olympics, like earlier in the year. Gotcha. So he had a so, great conditioning. Yeah, but it was yeah. cool to like meet. I didn't know that. We were, we were talking shit about him. Like, dude, like, how, are you, how are you able to keep up? And then we found out he was an Olymp- uh, he was Olympic athlete. Yeah. But he actually retired that year from rowing because he's from Wales. <laughs> and he retired because he lost to Canada oh damn he's like fuck I lost to Canada on my Olympic break lost to Canada (laughs) yeah and they're not known for rowing bro (laughs) so I I think it was one of those things that he he did everything he wanted he's like he was like 19 or something like that 20 at the time just a wee lad still yeah so he's like I'm I'm done with that Uh, and he was doing like training seminars on rowing to make money and stuff like that. Gotcha. So you met some interesting people out there. How long were you out there on your first trip? That first trip? I want to say two and a half weeks only for the first trip. Yeah. That's bare minimum, by the way, for anybody listening. Yeah. Like, if you're going to go there and, like, vacation, minimum 10 days, you want to be there minimum two weeks, ideally. Yeah. If you're going to go out there and get anything out of the experience, if you want to say just go there, you can go for less, but you're not going to get much out of it. Um, Yeah, so we met all these awesome people over there, and... Uh, I remember seeing some of the fights that were over there at the time, and um, our friend, they had this festival called Loy Kratong that was going on over there at the time, it usually happens in November, if you guys have ever seen, just look it up, L-O-I, L-O-I I think K-R-A-T-H-O-N-G, Loy Kratong, uh, they basically, they make these cool little boats, and they put candles on them, and set them out in the water, and the rivers, they also have the floating lanterns. Oh, yeah, I've seen pictures of Yeah, that. you see, like, thousands, or, like, hundreds of thousands of floating lanterns in the sky. Yeah. And I remember, like, Lottie, like, the, the gym owner, like, gave us the light. And I'm like, oh, it's so pretty. He's like, yeah, unfortunately, it burns down a lot of homes. That would like, be my next question. I was like, oh, fuck, like, <laughs> what do I kill the moment? But also, that's harsh reality yeah. of a third world country, I guess. Um, you know, so I, I never did it again after that because I was just like, shit, I don't want to be responsible for burning down someone's home. Burning down the house. Yeah, but if you look at it from like a Buddhist standpoint, they would say, oh, that's their karma. 
that's fucked. Yeah, so I, but I'm like, I don't want to be part of dishing out that karma. Same thing with <laughs> like, uh, like dogs on that part of the world too. They're just yeah. like, if they run a dog over with a car or whatever, they're like, ah, that person was a shitty person in their past life. And they yeah, that's why they're a dog. That's why they're a street dog. Yeah. So, uh, if you guys don't know too, there's a big like stray dog problem in Thailand also. They're everywhere. Rabbit dogs. Yep. Um, so... We went through, uh, If you, just a shout out too, if anybody's interested in dog rescue stuff out there, there's a really cool foundation out there called Soy Dog, S-O-I-D-O-G. They do dog rescue there in uh, Thailand. They adopt dogs out to foreign countries where they can have better care and stuff like that too. So definitely go check that out if you guys are listening to this. Um, so we're training in Thailand. Yeah, back training in Thailand. Yeah, we're training there at Loi Katong, right? Uh, and Roy was like, hey, I asked Christian if uh, he can get us a fight. He's like, you want to? I'm like, hell yeah, let's do it. Fuck it. Like, you know, we had like another 10 days on the trip. Yeah. We already been training a lot and stuff. Like, so like, yeah, let's do it. So Christian's like, yeah, I can get you guys a fight. You guys like a little shitty bar fight. Yeah. They have like these like bars in Pathia. It's like, you have washed up fighters there. But he's like, no, I'll make sure you get like an even match. Like with somebody who's not, maybe not training a lot, but maybe they have experience. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I remember training our butt off. They fucking kill us on pads. I remember it was like, first round, it was like, Essentially, like, okay, if you're going to fight, they told me two things. Like, okay, you're here for this long. One, you don't know how to clinch, so don't clinch. When you're fighting, don't clinch. I was like, fuck, but I want to learn clinch. Like, I saw yeah. them clinching. I wanted to learn it. And, um, like, I was like, crap, I really want to learn that. And uh, I want to be part of those groups. I did a couple clinching sessions, of course, going through it. But there was mostly, like, how to not be in the clinch is what they were going over for me. Mm. And then, which is interesting considering that is a main staple for your gym now. Is yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, yeah, like you know the the heavy clinch aspect of our academy and our our curriculum is is definitely there now. Um, and that's why I always put like emphasis on that for our students. Like we didn't have that here in the U.S. There wasn't clinch gyms. There wasn't clinch heavy gyms there at the time. Um, you know, needless to say, it's like, you know, when I was training out of an MMA gym, it was more of like a kickboxing program, if anything, you know? Uh, like, I don't even think we really trained elbows or knees that much. You know, it's mostly punches and kicks. Which is funny, because there's no pads on your knees and elbows. Well, in amateur fights, they sometimes do. Yeah, but... yeah, for sure. And, like, I think it was just more of, like, a lack of experience. Understanding Yeah, awareness. understanding of what to do with this kind of stuff. You know, if if you guys aren't familiar with Ventura and Oxnard, we're, we're a boxing town. You know, there's a lot of professional boxers that are here. Uh, so everybody likes to punch. Everybody likes to, oh, it's like boxing. You know, that's that's the perception here. So a lot of gyms gravitate towards that, our programs. Or end up at your academy because they were going to train boxing, but they're like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to do this. Yeah, they want to do Muay Thai instead. I have a couple people like that. So um, they're they're going over, like, how to not be engaged in the clinch at this, at this Thai camp. Yeah. And... Uh, they killed us, like, did essentially cardio death to us in the past. They, they fixed stuff, too. Uh, but then they would, like, fucking burn us out. Okay, it was like, first round, you start off slow. You finish off 10 kicks each leg. All right, second round, you start off 10 kicks each leg. You do the round, and then you finish off 20 kicks each leg. Next round, you start 20 kicks each leg. You finish around with 30 kicks each leg. And you build all the way up to round five as you finish off with 50. So it pretty much in the next round, you start 30, finish with 40. Start with 40, finish with 50. And that was the way you did your five rounds. And uh, then you do a lot of kick drills and some light tactical sparring. And uh, the kick drills on the bags, it's funny. Like Coach Chad, <laughs> shout out to Coach Chad. He remembers still a lot of them. He's like, yeah, these drills. You remember these? I'm like, yeah, man, they're, they're, they're fucking good. You know, simple basic stuff 
that if you haven't been there, you wouldn't know about. But it really helped develop my kick game, that's for sure. Because I really wanted to learn how to throw strong kicks. Gotcha. So you're about to do the fight at the shitty bar mm -hmm. that you got arranged where you're avoiding the clinch and all that. So how was that like? So, well, I remember first, like, they got us on one of the little bot buses. I forget what they're called in Thai. But it's pretty much a truck that has, like, a welded shell on the back that you can stand in. Mm. And I remember having, like, my cup, Thai shorts, and, like, mouth guard. a shirt, mouth guard. And I was wearing double mouth guard at the time. Stupid. Uh, lack of experience, for sure. I don't know what that is. It's a mouth guard that, like, you can't open your mouth. You oh, have, wow. like, a hole between it. So, and I had a plastic cup, too. A McDonald's cup. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, you're feeling lucky, huh? Yeah. Well, we didn't We didn't know. Yeah. So, we showed up to the stadium. There's, like, the whole gym's there. Like, remember that Christian, his wife, the trainers were there. Uh, Fred was there. The owner of West Coast Jiu-Jitsu, Brian, was there. Uh, Noe and, like, a bunch of other friends that were on the trip were all there to, like, cheer us on. And uh, I remember getting into the back and then like they're like okay where's your cup i'm like it's right here and like no you can't wear that i'm like well i don't have anything else like what do you mean i can't have it like you need a steel cup yeah and they're like we'll be right back we'll find something so you know like those like big gray trash cans that you have on like the schoolyard yeah like cafeteria so i see what they, this guy's digging through one of them and out he pulls there's like gloves and like caution guards in there out he pulls is a steel cup Oh, wow. So if you guys aren't familiar with steel cups, they go up your ass. It's like a thong. It goes over your underwear. It's a G-string. It's a G-string. So I didn't know that, but I'm just like, yo, that's not going to fit. That thing is tiny as fuck. Yeah. It's like flat. It's barely like, I'm. I, it's like, yeah, it barely curves at all. So, but I had to fit it on. So one of the old guys and one of the trainers helped shove my, my, my junk into there. <laughs> wow. And I just remember sitting there, it's like on the side of a bar. Like some broken mirrors and stuff on the side and like picnic tables and they're like throwing out water from like the bar from the ice from the bar right there right next to us and here i am 19 or almost 19 i have these two thai guys with their hands on my nuts yeah <laughs> i'm like well this is this is happening right now uh and then uh i think roy ended up just i think he had a, a titanium cup and they let they're like oh that's fine or i don't know if he borrowed one i can't remember yeah but uh, they put liniment on us, like, and I remember shadow boxing, like, on those, they had, like, a broken mirror to shadow box in, and it's just, like, really dingy, like, low lit, and I remember Roy went to go fight, and I, I saw him fighting and stuff, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna focus on myself now, and he looks like he's doing fine, um, and I remember going in and just, like, sitting there, like, on the bench, like, with my legs dangling off the table and stuff, and, like, looking in that broken mirror and just be like, yo, no matter what happens, like... I want to do this for a really long time. Like, that was like one of my moments where I was like, I fucking love this. Like this, this, this is where I want to be right now. You know, not, I don't want old guys touching my nuts. Be, just be clear. But uh, you know, like being ready to fight, like warmed up, like you had the linen on. It smells like freaking menthol. If you guys have never smelled it before, super hot, humid, and in Thailand, I'm like, this is awesome. You know, going from continuation high school. Yeah. You know, where I thought I was going to go nowhere to like a year later, all of a sudden I'm in Thailand. You stepped in like a completely different uh, reality, which is freaking awesome because a lot of people get trapped in that one reality because everybody tells them that's their only option or they have to look at this one particular angle. But I guess one of the unique uh, 
Yeah. What is it? Switch positions we're in because both of our parents are artists. It's like, all right, well, maybe look at it from this other angle. Yeah. Maybe stand to the side and maybe it's completely different than whatever else. Yeah, I really have to thank my uh, mentor, Chip Frazier, my, my high school teacher. Yeah. Um, Definitely changed you a lot. Yeah, he, he was the ones that was like, hey, you know, what's to stop you from getting in a car and just driving and going somewhere and working in a diner? What's to stop you from doing that? Yeah. Why not? And I was like, True. So I kind of took that concept with training, like, hey, what's stopping me from doing this? Yeah. You know, it's like, at the time, you know, when I first started, you were saying, like, you know, you're not going to stick to it. Yeah, because one of the only things that was consistent about your past with uh, fitness and all that was that you're inconsistent. I think a <laughs> lot of people have that. Yeah. I mean, I had that. I was, uh, I would stick with something, I would get really into it, and I just didn't have the, the habits or disciplines, routines of it, and you had to figure, you figured those out pretty quick. with Consistently routine. inconsistent. Yeah. That's <laughs> a real common thread, I think, for a lot of people, if anybody's yeah. listening to that. It's like, yeah, you can switch it in, in a minute, and it's a, if it's just like habits, I know for me it was like two times a week for six mm-hmm. months, and then all of a sudden I had a habit. Well, yeah, and that, that was one of those things that like really ingrained it in me too, and I think a lot of the people we had to train with then... Like, back then when we were training at West Coast, like, fucking Tony Ferguson was there. Yeah. You know, he just moved there uh, shortly before he we went to Thailand and he started training. Yeah. Uh, we also had, uh, if you guys know boxing, we had now world-famous trainer Robert Garcia holding pads for us once a week, twice a week. Sometimes I would show up and it would just be me. And he'd hold mitts for me, for, like, and that was part of, like, my membership at the time. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, you're the same Robert Garcia used to be world champion, right? Yeah. That's me. He's, this guy was, like, 30 and 1. That's no, so he nice. lost to Diego Corrales. And it was like, shit, I'm getting free one-on-one time with you? Like, fuck yeah. Yeah. So I remember that being, like, a big motivator for me, too. Like, the people I was around were very inspiring at the time. Uh, some of them were doing, like, stuff with the Ultimate Fighter and whatnot, too, uh, when that was popping up. Uh, going back over to Thailand, you know, when I, when I was stuck there, you know, I had that moment where I was like, hey, this is what I really want to do. And I, my friend Roy got the ring. I didn't know what the result was then. He was fine. He was looking happy and had a beer in hand. Uh, so I was going to the ring. I remember like, I, like, I sealed the ring. I remember actually like praying to my, like, in the corner like, oh, God, don't kick. Get your ass kicked. You know, just try to relax. Okay, this corner, I want to make sure that I'm, you know, I'm going to hope that I'm safe at the end of this. Like I'm not going to get majorly fucked up. And um Ended up fighting the guy, and they said he had around, like, 150, 200 fights. But he hadn't been training a lot, you know. But he's one of the guys that they'd put in the ring that if, like, uh, you know, like, a new fighter was coming through that wanted to get experience like I was doing, that he would go a step in the ring with him, and he would win sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so I got experience with him. I remember him kicking the shit out of my arm. My arms were, like, super swollen up. And he clinched me a couple times, and I remember... Like the corner saying, no, no, no clinch, no clinch, no, no, no. Like, don't do that. <laughs> and I remember just like, what? Like, look, like, I don't know what to do. Keep <laughs> like, okay. So I just kept kicking as much as I could. And, um, you know, I still hadn't found, like, my punching range and stuff that. I was throwing punches, but nothing, like, substantial. And those gloves were fucking falling apart. They're having us wear and shit, too. It was fun. And, um... You know, I, I I remember, like, we only had, like, a half, like, one round and half of the round because, like, the battery ran out of it. But I remember, like, you know, I landed some good knees, uh, like, from the outside. You know, I, I got, you know, the guy was around the same height as me, like, maybe, like, two or three inches shorter than me. And I remember being able to knee him in the face uh, once or twice, like, straight up the middle. And I remember getting a lot of good kicks, like, nothing for free, all those concepts and stuff, too. 
And I, I, like, I just remember being super tired <laughs> in the third round. And I remember thinking, like, oh, I've been here before through those rounds in the past they put me through. Yeah. Because the first day, I didn't mention this in here, but the first day they had us go through those fight pads like that, I threw up. I straight threw up. And, uh, like, there were, I wasn't eating much. I was super skinny. So I didn't have much to throw up. I just remember, like, hurting. And yeah. The trainer making fun of me and, like, making sissy motions with his hands on the pads and shit like that. <laughs> Stuff that I do now to people. Yeah. I'm like, uh, uh, making these sounds, like, with the fighters when they're, like, really exhausted. Yeah. It's more just like, hey, dude, like, we've all been there. <laughs> it's funny. And it's, it's tough love. And it's needed because a lot of our culture is really coddled. I know both of us got raised predominantly with a lot of influence from our mom it was borderline like being raised by a single mother mm-hmm. which is common problem for people not developing enough you know thick skin or toughness or mental toughness yeah it's like um uh well we'll touch on that just a little bit it's like you know as an awkward to say you know don't have your mom and dad come to the fight it's like why he's like you see your mom you're gonna be soft i'm like what do you mean he's like you're gonna want to like, cry or something you don't know like you don't know what's gonna do to your mental state yeah. so there's something to be said for that paternal instinct that you have with your parents uh, especially like when you're young, uh, came through uh, on the fight. I remember pushing really hard on like the last round. I remember just kept moving forward, 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 and you know they they raised my hand and said I won. I'm like, fuck yeah! Like I remember them like the, the other guy being like, you know, just kind of like fuck, fucker, like you know, because I, I need him in the head. I don't know. Like they said you were allowed to do it. So, but I think it was more like he thought he'd won by that point. Mm. And so, and I just kept pressing, 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 pressing. I out-cardioed him. Gotcha. Didn't out-technique him. Yeah. You know, didn't, didn't out-base, better basics, better balance, better clinch, none of that shit. I just out-cardioed him, essentially. Fair yeah. I was, I mean, I'd been training for one year. Yeah. And, so, uh, yeah. So you came back after your, your, like, just about two weeks and you in your first fight, and then you came back to training, what was it what happened after that? I was on a pretty big high, like, afterwards, because, like, everybody's like, hey, dude, good job. Like, you know, I know, like, because uh, if you guys knew me back then, you wouldn't look at me as somebody as a fighter. I was, like, a hun- maybe 130 pounds, 135 pounds walking around. You know, that's, like, what, 62 kilos? Something like that? Uh, I think so. Key. It was, like, 62 ki- kilograms. I was walking around at that, and that was me, like, trying to gain weight. And yeah. I was a super shy kid, you know. I was just very, like, reserved to myself. So, like, a bunch of people didn't, like, expect that, you know, and I was, I, I was stoked on it, and I just, I kept up my training as much as I could, and I was training every day, and, like, I started training twice a day, and we did another smoker or two uh, back home, and um, I just really tried to keep up that training as much as I could, and we were trying to get fights here, the gym we were at at the time, uh, you know, they were trying to get fights, and they kept saying, like, hey, we'll get you one, we'll get you one. And uh, I remember being told, like, specifically, like, you need to train harder. I'm like, what the fuck? What do you mean train harder? But when I, when I look back on it, uh, you know, what I found out was they were trying to get us fights, but there wasn't a lot going on then. And I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know that there wasn't a lot of fights going on. At first, all I knew, there was a bunch of them. Yeah. I just wasn't attached to that world. Uh, and neither was, like, the gym we were at at the time, having that connection. Some of the smokers, yes, but most of them, no. Uh, but I found out later, like, I remember Fred sent me, like, an email chain of, like, back and forth from then, of them trying to get fights for these guys who eventually started IFS, International Fight Showdown. Gotcha. It was the, these twins the, from Sit Ramasoon. They had a Muay Thai gym down there. I think it was in Glendale. And then Sean Shalati, who's still running it. 
uh, here in California. So if you guys haven't heard of IFS, International Fight Showdown, it's a promotion. They have it at, in Anaheim. The guy books like 30 fucking fights on it, all amateur. He does MMA now, too. Mixed martial arts, amateur and mixed martial arts. He was doing some pro fights for a little bit, too, but he stopped it. So uh, as we came through and uh, we came back, kept training, you know, honestly, like, I felt like I burnt out. Like, I, I was working, training, and there was no fights coming in, nothing. And I felt like, you know, I got put in a position of starting to help out with classes at that time. Yeah. I've been training probably about a year and a half, two years. And I, I started helping out with some of the classes, like if the trainer couldn't be there. Or if he was out of town, need me to cover, or whatever it may be. I, would, I was just, I was game because I wanted to do it. I was going to work out anyways. I was going to train. Yeah. And, you know, I always go there during the day and just kick the bag. I would stay extra and just kick the bag, hit the bag, spar, do whatever I could just to train. Um, and I could train with Fred as much as I could when he was down to train. And we couldn't get any fights. And I remember, like, just like, fuck it. Like, I guess I'm not going to do more with that anymore. I guess I learned everything that I'm going to learn. Are we right the two-year point? Two-year mark. That's so we talk, we talk about this. Yeah, we talked about this in the last podcast. Yeah. Two-year mark, man. Like I, And this is something I realized over time after teaching people that. I'm like, oh, shit, I went through this. But in a different way. Yeah. Because there wasn't other options at the time. Yeah. And uh, so they, after that, you had uh, you ended up you started training uh, with Roy, with Knockweed. Uh, yeah, it's a funny Howard. story about that. So th- this is how that happened. Um I know, so they had this guy, this Cambodian guy that started teaching at West Coast. His name was uh, Boren, Bo. He ended up becoming a good friend of mine, Boren Kuhn. Uh, and he was, he was teaching some stuff there. And, you know, he started going down to uh, North Hollywood. Uh, he, they went to the Thai New Year Festival that was in North Hollywood. And they had more Thai fights there. And Boren and Roy had seen a referee there. And they'd seen him at one of the other fights before, at, like Pachanga. And they asked him, like, hey, how do we get into the fights? And I guess he's like, hey, you know, come. I, I should bring Roy on for this because he could describe it better. But I guess he was like, hey, come show me your Muay Thai. <laughs> and I, uh, Ashan Nakhwit was teaching at House of Champions at the time, HOC. Anybody out there in Southern California, you know, the House of Champions has been around a long time. Um, he was teaching a program there, and I guess they went there, and he kind of chuckled at him. He's like, hey, I'm opening up a gym, and you guys can come next week. It's not open yet, but you can come. So uh, they were training down there with him, and I had stopped training essentially up here at the time, like for like maybe like a month. And they're like, you have to go, you have to go, you have to come check this out. And I just remember making every excuse, like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this, uh, uh, making excuses. And I was young, you know, 19 at the time. I was like, oh, I don't know if it's going to be for me. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I want to do Muay Thai anymore. Uh, why would I go? Um, fast forward just like maybe another like month or so. One of the other guys that were training with Rick uh, started going down there with them. Also, he's like, "Man, you really got, to, you really have to go." And we were at Coach Todd's pro debut. This was in Westlake. It's like at the Marriott down there or something like that. Is that an MMA fight? Yeah, pro MMA fight. So it was his pro MMA debut, and like um, we all met up there. And I remember we we're all talking because we we're all sitting together. And they're like, hey, Monday, like, let's go. Like, we'll bring you. Like, dude, you have to go. You have way too much time. You spent way too much time on this. You're young, dude. You need to do this. And I was just remember, like, oh, like, the first excuse I had was, oh, I don't have a car. And they're like, we'll pick you up. I'm like, well, what time does training start? They're like, well, it starts at 6. I'm like, well, I don't get off until 5, and we have to drive this hour, and I won't make it. They're like, we'll do the next class afterwards. We'll let them know we're going to be a little bit late. Okay. 
And then it was uh, the next excuse I had is, hey, I don't know if I have enough money to sign up. Like, hey, they have free trial. <laughs> and uh, hey, I don't know if I have food. Hey, don't worry, we'll grab food on the way. We're going to stop at 7 Eleven. Just every excuse I had in the book. You just said, friends. Yeah, they said, fuck you. Yeah, Rick, then that guy was, he was one of the people that was in there, Roy, too, at the time, was pulling for me. Like, dude, you got to train. Because yeah. we're all like, we're training friends. You know, like, it's like, dude, you got to train. Yeah, it's like, if you guys don't know that if anybody's listening who doesn't train, a lot of your training partners, the core group, become more like more like family than they are like friends. Yeah, and they, they know, like, they're like, hey, you can't stop training because that means that we lose you as a friend, essentially, because we know you're not gonna, probably not going to see you again. Yeah. And um, for the most part, there's there's some exceptions to that. But at that time, I was definitely done. You know, I thought I was done with Muay Thai. Uh, and I, I went down there, and I remember training, and the first thing, uh, you know, Naki did was he showed me some clinch stuff. I remember thinking like, holy shit, I know nothing. You and like, over again. And I remember like, well, yeah, I started over again and I always wanted to learn clinching and I couldn't find anybody to teach me fucking clinching down. Like, I want to learn how to clinch. Yeah. Like, how come I can't find a place? I was so confused. You know, for anybody else out there that's like, how come I can't learn how to clinch? Let me just be very clear. So clinching is one of those things you have to learn by experience from somebody who really knows how to do it. If they don't really know how to do it and explain it, you got to just go to Thailand or train with somebody who's spent a lot of time in Thailand and have them really just break down some of the basic drills that they do um, and, and learn the balance of it. Because there is a process, like Knockweed had a process for it that yeah. I've never seen anybody else break down like that before. Ever, yeah. ever, ever, ever. I've seen other processes that are really good that are out there, but the way he broke down clinching was like, it was no brainer. Hmm. You know, like a dummy could pick it up and, and start learning Muay Thai. Very beginner friendly. Um... So, uh, I went down there and, you know, I, I think I went down there for like uh, a week and then I came back after like two weeks, I saved up some more money. I'm like, Hey, I want to start training again. And I asked him like, Hey, can I, can I start training? And I signed up, uh, at, at the gym with, with Ajahn Nakweed and his then wife, Robin. And I was carpooling down there with Roy, Rick, uh, we had this guy, Kevin, that would also come down there with us. So we all just carpool all the time. Yeah. And next thing you know, we're, we're going down there four or five days a week. Yeah. Um, and Roy had one or two fights by that point because he started training with them a little bit sooner. So he was like one of the first fighters that was there. Yeah. And like I really wanted to get in on that. So I was training a lot too with him. Yeah. And uh, Roy's like, hey, dude, like, and I think he was dating. So I started uh, seeing some girl down there at the time. He's like, hey, let's just move down here. Like cheaper i'm like oh shit i don't know and i remember me and him got together and we wrote a plan i still have the binder where i wrote down like plans of what could happen of me moving down there, like financially for what i could do i remember like i'm like worst case scenario sell my booty yeah. <laughs> like just as a joke like worst case scenario figure something out essentially but yeah it was like you ended up selling your blood platelets back then i remember that yeah <laughs> yeah that that was like one of those things that came in uh when i was training down there with knockweed and living down there with with roy uh, my friend Roy Corona, like I started selling my blood platelets. I'll go every three weeks. The first time I went, I couldn't. They wouldn't take them because I was so low in iron. Sure. And that's when I found out I had some nutritional, like I think they're I think they're gastrointestinal ones. That's why I started fucking with like I had a nutritionist who's like, hey, maybe you're gluten intolerant. So I started cutting. I only had like oats. That was my only gluten I had. And I started taking iron supplements and got my iron up. I remember at that point, like, when we're training Thailand, people were like, man, you're young, you shouldn't be tired. And I was tired all the time. Well, it turns out I was severely low in iron. Mm. I was like a 10.2 or something like that, hmm. or 9.2. I 
I think the lowest you're supposed to be is at like a 12 or whatever that measurement is. I can't remember. Gotcha. But they wouldn't take blood platelets from me. They're like, no, you're dangerously low. We're going to give you iron supplements and please stop and get more at the store on the way home. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, I can't afford iron supplements, but okay. Yeah. And I remember taking those for like three weeks. I'm like, holy shit, I feel fucking good. Yeah. And like I, I cut out the, you know, I started eating like a little bit differently. I was still eating very good, but I just cut out like bread and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and my recovery went through the roof. I remember being able to train like super intensely. Um, and we got some fights going and went to Thailand a few more times, uh, with the gym, with Nakri's gym. First time we went over there, we went to Fairtex. Uh, we got to train with some badasses at Fairtex. Yeah. And that time when we went to Fairtex, I found out that the trainer, Big Yak, that was training Yeltsin Klai and all the other like champion Fairtex fighters at the time. He was from, he was, for, he's known Nakri since they were kids. Yeah. They trained at the same gym together. Gotcha. Like, growing up. And they actually hired in pad trainers from Luke Prabot to train the champions at Fairtex. Luke Prabot being the gym that Nakri was from. It was Luke Prabun at the time. And I was like, oh, shit. And he's like, oh, yeah, Nakri's a good fighter. And then Mr. Wong came up to us, like, oh, you're Nakri's students. And if you guys don't know who Mr. Wong is, the dude is fucking, like, you know, they, they have a saying in town, they're like, oh, that guy's like mafia. It's because if you have a lot of money... They say it's like mafia because if you have a lot of money, you have a lot of pull in the country. So I was like, oh shit. Like Mr. Wong saying he was the right person to train with, I'm like, fuck, I found the right dude. Yeah. And, um, you know, he was saying good stuff about him too as a referee and when he was fighting as a kid. And I was like, okay, man, like I, I'm with the right, with the right gym. Uh, and we came back from that trip. We trained there and at Sit Yotong. Shout out to Crew Walter. He gave us a hookup at Sit Yotong to be able to train there and get some decent training. I trained with uh, Samart Pak Rune's trainer that was there at the time. Oh, man. I forget. Who's his trainer? I want to say his name was Song, hmm. But he was missing his front teeth, old as fuck. Yeah, yeah. He's course. not there anymore. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened to him. But he was, he was Samart Pak Rune's trainer. And there was nobody there. All the fighters had gone to Singapore at that point to Evolve MMA when Evolve MMA was first starting. Okay. So if you guys don't know what Evolve MMA is, they're fucking huge now. Singapore gym. A super super team of like MMA fighters. Uh, he, and the guy who owns Evolve, Chatri Siyotong, he's the one that uh, he's the CEO of One FC. Gotcha. So Chatri had just moved over there and started bringing these fighters over there from the gym he grew up in, from his dad. And that's when uh, Ajahn Yotong was still at Siyotong before he passed away. And we we're clinching in the ring with one of the fighters, and he came over and showed us some shit, like. You know, hobbled over, he had a cane and stuff like that. And he's like, he showed us some stuff. And I just remember being just like super like grateful for that. We got a picture with him and stuff too in front of the statue that was there. Oh, uh, some of the other fighters that were there at the time. Like now I'm like, fuck, I'm glad like my friends made me take that picture. Because I didn't like taking pictures back then. Yeah, and now I realize it's really important. Oh, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, oh shit. Like a picture with this Muay Thai legend. Literally, that guy helps so many people. Yeah. And I think that's one of the influences that came in off of me is that like I knew his story. From watching like Muay Thai, do- Thai documentaries, uh, I really learned a lot about him. There's a documentary called uh, "Born for the Fight." It's on YouTube. It's free. Again, "Born for the Fight." I can link it. I meant to have my notebook so I can write some notes about what I put in the show notes. But I'll put it in the show notes. I won't forget. Um, if I do, send me a DM. I'll make sure to get it up there. It's a fucking good documentary. But I learned about him and how much he'd helped like orphan kids. He got kids off the street from sniffing glue, doing drugs, drinking, prostitution, human trafficking. 
drugs, all that stuff, like drug trafficking. All the good stuff. Yeah, he got he got these kids out the street and turned them into champions. Yeah. And I, I thought that, like, is, like, a humanitarian service. 100%. Essentially, because he, then he made these guys into champions, and then now they're getting sent overseas to his son's, you know, superstar gym in Singapore. If you guys don't know, Singapore is a very wealthy country. Um, very well off. So they, these guys were going to be essentially set if they, they're doing well. Yeah. And now they have one FC and they can fight internationally. You know, how fucking cool is that? And they become like these cool international trainers that evolve and go train with them. I think that guy was the, what's his name, Shane Faison, the, the fight tips. Yeah, he, yeah. Was over, he went over there to go train with like Pep Bunchu and like Same and all these guys. Like legit, like A-class Muay Thai fighters they have teaching there. So, and then let me be clear about this too. Some of those fighters are some of the worst trainers. <laughs> yeah, you can learn a lot by training with them. But like you don't want to hold pa- have the whole pads for you. They're not they're not pad men or anything like that. Gotcha, because um, it's a different thing to, to different skill, different yeah. skill set for sure. To be able it's to like explain it. Big Yuck, the guy who's the paddle for Yelton Clay. He has gigantism, so he's a big guy, so you can kick the shit out of him on the pads. So you end up becoming a good pad holder. But Thai people don't have. Not everybody has gigantism. They can't. He he couldn't fight. Yeah. So he became a really good trainer. Uh, and I, I guess uh, and the same thing with Knockweed. He's heavier for like a Thai person. You know, it's like 160 pounds. It's like. Couldn't fight a lot after his teens. So, I again, goes into being a trainer, yeah. essentially. Uh, and and going through that, that path of, like, you know, moving down to North Hollywood and stuff, too. Like, that whole lead-up into it. Man, we're coming up on an hour. able to squeeze in an hour? Damn, that's yeah. pretty good. Um, it's, it's been... We, we skipped over some stuff, but... We did. Yeah. But uh, as far as training, you were there for, like... You lived in North Hollywood where you almost Two years? exclusively did that. Where that's all you did. You trained other people, right? And yeah. Yeah. When I when I was living in North Hollywood, I was living like a block away, like two blocks away from the gym. So I was the Johnny on the spot guy of Crew Dan made my friend Crew Dan. If he needed help, like covering one of his fitness classes or beating his classes, or if Nakui needed like a Johnny on the spot, someone who's in town and needed me to cover class, uh, he would shoot me private lessons, like have me do private lessons for people, um, you know, and. When I wasn't training, I was learning how to teach. So I would just go in and just watch him, how he'd make corrections and stuff. I came, became obsessed with Muay Thai and how he fixed me. Mm. And I wanted to learn that shit too. I'm like, this is powerful stuff. Like, there's something to it. Because I, I, you know, no one ever made this kind of corrections that he did on me. Ever. Like the stuff that like, we teach our students, no one ever told me that. Because like, the lack of knowledge was there. And I think part of it is, one, he came from a place that makes really good teachers and good fighters. Two, he also speaks English well enough to to, to describe the small intricacies of clinching, balance, where to put your hands, this is why you should do this, this is why you don't want to do this, this is when you want to do this, this is when you don't want to do this. So rather than just go, you know, do this, and like, why? And they just kind of like look at you because they don't speak English. Yeah, but he's also very good at explaining stuff, like just showing you in a way that like, by being there, because he is such a great uh, trainer, to like show you, like I remember clinching with him for the first time, and I just got schooled. Of course, got schooled, but I, you know, spent more time with him. <laughs> I remember throwing you, and you're like, Ugh. like three times that I remember him. He accidentally like, hit my head on a pole, and he felt super bad. I was like, it happens, like whatever. But then I came, I spent a bit more time, and I finally it started. What he was trying to convey to me is to not overthink. And if you miss something, don't dwell on it. Just go on the next. Mm-hmm. But instead of explaining it, he just showed me in a way to where it just drilled into my head. And it was almost like he was communicating at like a telepathic level. Yeah. Like, 
Well, then, like, so that that was my thing, too. I want to train with him every single day. So I'll train two days. I'll get up. I'll go run super early at the park over there off Tahunga in North Hollywood. Um, I'll go run, you know, for like an hour, hour and a half, like jog. Go back home. I'll eat uh, from the groceries that my blood plate was paid for. Yeah, I remember that. I remember <laughs> and that. And then uh, I would go. I, I would relax a little bit. I would do some work online. And then I would go over to the gym and I would go train, take his 10 a.m. class, whatever you have the time, and then stay after and get to spar and clinch with him. If I didn't get to spar and clinch with him, I would spar and clinch with some of the students. Or I would go home, do the bag, and then I would do some work during the day. And then I would go back in the afternoon, or if I had a private, or if they need help at the gym, I would help out where I could. Yeah. And then I would come back to in the afternoon, come train, help do intros, and watch Nakui teach, train, spar. And we'd be there. I will go. I'll get there like... 4.30, and we leave at, like, 11. I, and I would, like, very rarely eat the whole time. I would just train. So uh, they had showers and stuff there, so it made it easier and everything like that, too. Yeah, because you were essentially living at the gym. Yeah, pretty much. Like, there was nothing at home. It would be super hot in North Hollywood. You know, it would get up to, like, 110 degrees. So if you guys aren't familiar, uh, and we had a big heat wave then, I, I think that's around, like, 35 degrees Celsius. In NoHo. Yeah, or, like, 36. Hollywood. Yeah, North Hollywood. So the gym had AC. Our home did not. And it was very, very fucking hot. Yeah. Stuffy apartment. Um, so I just spent as much time as I could there. Uh, kept fighting. Knockweed started having uh, some promotions and stuff too. And I thought that was like... That was definitely where I got to make some of my networking connections too. Because I, I, was, I was... Again, Johnny on the spot. Like, hey, can you pick these people up from the airport? Sure. Give me the keys of the car. I would go pick these people up from the airport. And one time it was Sanchai. Yeah, we're picking up, like, Sanchai. Picking up Junkson on Fairtex. You're picking up, like, Boonkerd. Like, all these, like, very famous guys in Muay Thai in the U.S. and internationally, too. Uh, Simon Marcus, Matt Embry. Like, the first time they came over here, I picked them. We picked, Me and Roy picked them up from the airport. And this is before Simon Marcus fought, like, Cal Klai and Joe Schilling. And it was like, Simon Marcus was like, oh, I'm going to fight this guy. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? How come I don't know who he is? What the fuck? Like, I was so confused because I was literally obsessed with Muay Thai. But it just, just shows you that back then, stuff still wasn't all put up online. Yeah. So, Very esoteric. Yeah, and sure enough, a year later, he was like fighting Kalkli <laughs> and Joe Schilling, you know? It was like, that's when that stuff started. Uh, that was for stand-up promotions. Yeah, the first time Sanchai ever came to North America, you know, it was through Knockweed's promotion, stand-up promotions at the time. And, um, you know, I got to help present the belts, like at weigh-ins and stuff like that, too, and just help arrange some of that stuff. Roy fought on that one. Yeah. Uh, he found the undercard for that one as an amateur. Um, Jason Andrada was out there. If you guys pro fighter out of Las Vegas, Andrada Muay Thai. If you guys are ever in Vegas, go check him out. Uh, there's also David Huerta who's fighting out there. Also, he fought against Jason Andrada at that time. Uh, David Huerta's got an awesome gym down in LA called Los Angeles Muay Thai. He found the IFMA team in Pan Ams. Uh, and he's also had a couple of fighters that go through IFMA and pro fighters too. Like, our students fight each other now. Like, uh, our student Christian Hernandez, our old old former student Christian, you know, yeah. fought. You know, Christian was my top student at the time, and this guy Lance Dixon, Davis top student at the time. They both fight for titles. It was like the guy. It was like it was funny to see that progression because we're all sparring partners. Yeah. It was like okay, now our students are fighting each other. It's kind of yeah. It was funny. The progression of stuff. Yeah. Well, we're the main. There were the main event guys. Yeah. You know, it's like those are the main event guys. So, uh, seeing seeing that kind of play down was pretty cool and then there was like um i think there were who else fought on that card there was there was some big names shana blonsky fought on that 
went on to K1 Glory. Uh, Brian Dobler was supposed to fight on that against Shane Blonsky. Yeah, Shane Blonsky didn't fight on that one. That's right. Because Brian was, I think he was battling Lyme's disease. I think that's when that first mm. fucking fucked him up. Um, don't quote me on that, Brian. As in Brian, if, you, if you're listening to this, don't, don't quote me on that. Uh, I'd love to have you on, man. Uh, but I remember uh, Coke Fairtex was going to step in last minute and fight Shane Blonsky, but Shane only had like one or two pro fights. And they're like, okay, this guy has 150 pro fights. First guy, like, the athletic commission said no to it. But he was ready to go. He was like, oh, I'm just here to help corner. But yeah, I'll, I'll fight. Oh, wow. And then uh, Tetsuya Yamato fought against uh, Sanchai at the time. I didn't really know who Tetsuya was. I just knew he was like a K1 champion. Yeah, I don't know anything about him. Well, he's now he's like, he's like, I think that was at the beginning of his career because he was 23, I think, at the time. And he ended up becoming like, he, you know, he beat Kevin Ross. Like, he, he's beaten like the who's who in Muay Thai also huh. now. Because he really developed into a very strong fighter. Because he was very skinny, then he put more muscle mass, uh, his, his training, development and stuff. That guy really shut up as well. Um, I'll make sure to tag all these people on Insta- like their Instagrams in the show notes too. Because you guys should definitely go follow them. Because they're part of like the Muay Thai history and stuff like that in the world, essentially. Um, but going back to like the promotion and stuff too. I just remember like getting to watch Sanchai fight. You know, and and Cal Clive fought on that one too. He fought against uh, Magnum Sakai, also from Japan. How'd that go? How'd that go? Uh, well, let me preface this. So, Cal Clive and Sanchai were both eating buckets of KFC two days before weigh-ins, and then they ran off all the weight, made weight. Sanchai won. I think it was first round head kick. Totally just. Put Tetsuya out. I didn't. I, I saw the kick, but I didn't see it. I was looking right. I'm like, what did I miss? Yeah. What was it? And then uh, Cal Klai ended up. I think it was third round or fourth round uh, KO or TKO with an elbow. And I remember it slashed Magnum from like the top left of his forehead down his face over the bridge of his nose to his right cheekbone. We got like a Sagat stuff. Yeah. And he had to have like I remember him being at the after party and just having this big bandage across his face like that. Damn. Yeah, and uh, like it, it was, it was bad. I'm yeah, like, clearly, yeah. he, he was in pain, and that dude, that dude was taking punishment, not showing pain. It was like, oh, this dude, yeah, that that would make it hurt. <laughs> Sanchai, how does one prepare for a fight with Sanchai? Do they just go to like a dude, temple and pray man, for two weeks? Hey, you gotta go back and listen to. Uh, do you listen to the podcast I had with Christian Pastore from Argentina? Not yet. Okay, he fought Sanchai. That's right. And he's only been doing more time for six years. So go back and listen to that. So if anybody on here wants to that que- that uh, they answer that question, go go listen to that podcast. I want to say is episode number seven or six, Christian Pastore. But uh, go back and listen to that. Uh, I think you know who documented the process very well was uh, Kevin Ross when he prepared for Sanchai. Hmm. He talked about his progress when he was training with Mark Beecher for that one. I don't know if he was cross training with CSA at the time, uh, but shout out to my friend Mark Beecher. I'd love to have you on here, man. You're freaking awesome. I'm stoked that Texas is able to start opening up their Muay Thai academies and stuff out there. So, and shout out to Hyena Muay Thai. If you guys want to go check them out too, they're they're great people out in Texas. Um, but yeah, Mark was was training uh, Kevin Ross at the time, and I think it was training out of like a tough gym. It's just called Tough. <laughs> okay, I think I've heard of it. Yeah, and uh, or something like that. I can't remember. It's been that's a long time ago. It's over ten. It's ten years ago. Over ten yeah. years. Uh, so lockdowns. Yeah. When is our when is the academy gonna be able to be reopened again? Oh man. 
Well, let's let's finish up this to- this topic real quick. We can we can pick up back on on this uh, on the topic of like the Muay Thai development, how Putin Muay Thai came to be, because that's essentially like some of the building blocks that came into it. You know, eating the perennial shit sandwich. Uh, with those promotions too, what was cool is I got to fight on them also. Yeah. Sometimes I was helping driving people around and also fighting, uh, and helping teach and stuff too at the time. And I was I'm forever grateful for those opportunities uh, that Muay Thai School USA gave to me. Yeah, the ground floor, you know, when it's completely unheard of almost in the U.S. Yeah. still. And not only that, is like, they were doing some groundbreaking shit, and no one fucking cared. Yeah. Only if you did Muay Thai. Now, like, the whole MMA world, combat sports world, knows who fucking Sanchai is. Oh, yeah, of it's course. like, yeah, everybody's, oh, Sanchai, yeah. I'm like, yeah, dude. So, like, you know, we're, we're talking about Kevin Ross and them, like, you know, Nakwe gave me the shorts that Sanchai wore when he fought against Kevin Ross here for the first ever WBC Muay Thai diamond belt. Yeah. Like, I fought on that show, too. And, uh, you know, I have the shorts, like I have them on the board ready to go to be displayed at the academy and stuff too, with the pictures from the, from that time. Yeah. But, um, you know, to kind of close that chapter before like you moved back up, like our mom started, like I, I was really unhappy down there. I got in a really dark place mentally. Roy moved in with his girlfriend at the time. We had another roommate, great guy, but he had a dog in our apartment. We weren't supposed to have a dog in the apartment. And our, our property manager at the time was the kind of person that would come over and like, Go knock on the door. Hey, can I come in and see this? You know, just because they were friendly with them. And yeah. I'd be like, no. And I remember just feeling like really weird about it. Yeah, put you in a strange spot. Yeah, because it's like, you know, and it'd be really hot. I'd come home and the dog is shit itself all over like the carpet. And I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, but I remember like your personality before and then after being in North Hollywood. For, you say you were in a really dark place, but you like... You were a lot different as a person. After yeah, I, well, I, I, I developed myself a lot because I just trained all the time. I met some really fucking awesome people. Yeah. Um, one of them trains with us at the academy, Brian King. Yeah. You know, he's one of the guys. I saw him lose a fuck ton of weight. That guy lost like uh, around 100 pounds also. That guy's scary. <laughs> he's one of my main training partners also yeah. when we were there. Like, he's trained with that guy all the time. I love that guy. Uh, for those of you that don't know him, if you, or if you know him, like, you don't utilize him as a resource enough. So, you know, he, he loves everybody. He just doesn't like to talk. Yeah, he's very <laughs> uh, conservative with his speech. And he's leg kick you with 1% and it'll hurt somehow. Oh, oh. So, you know, he's one of those guys that came up, like, through Generation Zero with Knockweed, too. Yeah. So, um, we ended up moving back. Mom had her thyroid cancer stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, and her, her health issues. And I was like, you know what? I can move back up here and... Uh, I can still make training happen somehow, and we'll get into that segment at a different time, but uh, I remember like telling my uh, roommate at the time, like, hey, man, I, I think I need to move. I need to move back, and then he's like, oh, fuck. I'm like, don't worry, it's not, like, immediately, like, let's give it, like, just, like, two more months, and, like, I'm, I'm done here. Like, yeah. Get out for a month to month, please. So uh, we'll, we'll leave, we'll connect back onto that on another day to continue on to that story. Uh, part so, two. Yeah, yeah, on the part two of, of the Putin Muay Thai story, I guess is what we can call that. Um, yes, yeah, so you're asking about the academy when we could reopen. Yeah, yeah. So, for anybody who's listening out there, um, Ventura County is part of the statewide lockdown. Uh, we've been talking with the local government, our mayor, city council, about how we can safely reopen. I literally, like, would, like first few weeks, I was emailing them almost every day. Uh, you know, our parent, our parents are business owners in town and stuff too. Our, our stepmom owns and our dad owned a business in downtown, a retail shop, uh, employ like, I don't know, over 50 people. 
Yeah, and including like the stuff people in Bali and stuff yeah. too that they employ and um, our mom self-employed photographer wedding photographer portrait photographer you're you know employed at the academy and stuff too and through and, her yeah and through my, our mom as a contractor and uh, I'm employed through the academy exclusively you know that's that's my main thing and um, same thing with uh, Coach Ryan up in Santa Barbara his main thing is Muay Thai Santa Barbara so for me I take this shit seriously same. Yeah, and when when this lockdown stuff happened, like I was looking at the guidelines that they like they're talking about implementing, like just for like sanitary, and I wrote like a whole COVID nineteen protocol over at moitaventura.com on the blog, and it, you know, I, I said this before and I'll say it again is a lot of the protocols that they have are protocols we already had standing, and they were been literally written on the wall of the academy. For over a year now, we had like a poster print out in giant letters. Yeah. Right in the waiting area. On the left side, yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, students get those hygienic practices when they first enroll as students at the academy. Um, you know, they get an email, and they get follow-up emails after they've been there for a few months, too, about it to remind them, uh, as well as instructors reminding people during our hygiene week and stuff like that, too. Bring extra uh, shirts, bring a towel. Bring a towel. Make sure you guys, you know, not wearing shoes on the mat. You know, if you're going outside the academy... Wearing shoes or slippers, wear slippers when you go to the restroom, um, wear a clean shirt after every class. For you guys who don't know it, uh, my brother is like an absolute like uh, germaphobe stickler before all this stuff. So it's funny because of social like, uh, what is it, perception and all that, we're having to reiterate a lot of what's already going on. Yeah. And it's already been very proactive. Well, you get a lot of other gyms. It's like... Yeah. And this this is, this is where it comes... It's really great though because this is the beauty of social media. I can go back and reference these posts from three years ago. Yeah, true. That's like, hey, look, this is me from three years ago saying that we require all this stuff, that we provide sanitary wipes for everybody to wipe down their equipment before and after training. Yeah. Uh, not for just our equipment, but their equipment as well. Uh, we started the towel thing. We started requiring that last year uh, on our rules for people to have. You have a few different things for fluids for people that get injured. Well, of course, you got that. Well, and then not yeah, and we have hand sanitizer. Yeah, that and we right, have at the right. at the right at the front. Too. But right next to that, for people that are struggling and sparring and crying, they also don't you have a little bit of an extra stash of Vagisil right next to that? <laughs> yes, there is a stash of that. But also, there's a body waste disposal kit. Of course, Josh trying to make make a joke about. That we like to make with the fighters. Somebody, if you're a fireman, just just ask me about it. I can tell you about it in person. Um, but going over into uh, like the hygienic practices, like last year too, we got an ozonator on recommendation of this guy, Master Chung Park. Uh, he's a bunch of these Taekwondo academies, and everybody always comments about how great his academy smells. And he's like, hey, this is the secret. It's the ozonator. It kills bacteria, viruses, and uh, it's antimicrobial for the air. And for sediment that sets into your academy. Yeah. And it literally kills everything in the air in the surfaces. Just by having it on. We've had that on all last year. Yeah. We turn it on all night. So in a nutshell, classes. in a nutshell, what, what I'm trying to say is you're way ahead of the curve. Yeah. And now everybody's going, well, let's flatten the curve. You're already a year out ahead before anything happened. Man, last, last year, like, I, like... Over the years, like, just teaching kids, anybody that's, like, teaches kids, like, not just in martial arts setting, but, like, school setting, like, you get sick. Because kids carry germs. Yeah. Bottom line, like, they rub their nose, they... It's cute as hell, but it's also gross, because they're, like, sneezing into their hands, touching things, putting their hands in their mouth, whatnot. I've gotten sick very, very rarely from the kids at the academy. Yeah, well, the, I've had these protocols in place. Yeah. So, um, 
once I'm like, hey, I have employees. Like, I want to make sure I take care of my team. Yeah. And, you know, with the cleaning and sanitizing, we clean and sanitize the mats sometimes upwards of four times a day. A lot of times. Yeah, we, we vacuum, we clean and sanitize after morning sessions, after the 6 a.m., then it's after the, the morning chunk of classes, in between the kids' class, after the kids' classes, before the adults, and then at the end of the day, and vacuum, and then we were wiping down the surfaces and stuff like that, too, with hand sanitizer, with not hand sanitizer, with Lysol. We weren't drinking Lysol, <laughs> but going into, like, cleaning up the bathrooms, uh, all surface areas and everything too using clean mop heads every single time we used it like man our place is fucking clean I had also have these professional floor cleaners that come in and clean the tatami surface and the mats with a steam cleaner and a pressure washer like once a year or what is it? no I do it I was doing it every quarter oh wow and that's expensive that's like yeah. 1400 bucks it's a good amount of every money quarter. yeah but the thing is that comes into the health and safety of our students. Yeah. Because if you have a sick student, they fall off, you know, it's hard to get them back in. Definitely. Yeah, like those, those habits, you know, you said with me, the only thing I was consistent with was being inconsistent. Yeah, which so, so many people can relate to. Mm-hmm. And that before martial arts or Muay Thai, that's how it was for me with the exception of running for a little bit. But yeah. I was like 29 before I got stuck with it. Yeah. So, you know, along with that, like our, our whole front desk... Like, it's funny. They're like, oh, you have to have these cleaning protocols. I'm like, cool, sweet, I already have them. Our whole front desk has a daily to-do list. They have, uh, there's like four columns, or no, there's, I think there's five or six columns, and everybody that comes in that day to work has to check it off. Yeah. Every single person, whether they're just in there for three hours or they're in there for eight hours, ten hours, they have to check off the list that they did these things. Yeah. And it's, you know, wiping down surfaces, that the high contact areas that we have. And there's, uh, you know, checking and cleaning the bathroom, sanitizing the bathroom, sanitizing the mats, vacuuming the mats, cleaning the windows, cleaning the handles, cleaning the waiting area, cleaning the floors in the waiting area. There's always cleaning the mats. Yeah, it's constant. Yeah. So, um, like, that's one of those things my front desk, I'm like, yo, you're front desk people, but you're also going to be cleaning a lot, so you have to be okay with that. Yeah, for sure. And contributes. Well, yeah, and one of the things that comes down to it is, like, you know, I was talking to some counsel, and he's like, you have to make sure people are accountable. I'm like, dude, I I made sure we were doing weekly meetings. I would go through, and I would have our office admin, Jessica, go through it on Saturday. Like, tell me everybody that didn't get checked off, things didn't get checked off, and bring it up on Monday. Gotcha. And find out what happened. So you have a lot of clean protocols and procedures that have been in play for a good while. And then so, with that said, when are you going to be able to legally run your small business? Because we know Target, Walmart, all these major businesses, they're deemed essential. And us martial arts gyms are not, not, not essential. We're not essential. We're essentially non-essential. So, uh, you know, I don't have an answer. Because, like, you know, for me, I've been, waiting, I've been reaching out to the government. Our local government wants to open up. But essentially right now... As it stands, are in you know. Let me just be clear. If you're choosing to shelter in place, and I've said this since the beginning, I 100% respect that. If that's your choice to do that, please. You, you know, we had our online course, me and you, recorded yeah. uh, for everybody. We get we got on that before we were mandated to close down. The week before, we had that shit up. Yeah. Me and I, Coach Ryan got in, and we started doing the online class before anybody did. What makes one of us that respects that? Because I want people to take. Here's my spiel on it: the amount of mental health stuff that's going to be weighing on you as a result of not training. If you're not training, if you're by yourself and you're still training, cool. I respect that. But it, you have to take into account how much this financial thing is hurting people mentally and how many things are going wrong in society that are not being accounted for mm-hmm. and all the domestic violence that's not maybe not even being accounted for, like people not going to hospitals. Hospitals yeah. are afraid they're going to get something. Man, you know, like, uh, 
Like what? I was afraid. Man, I got fucking. If you guys don't know, I got attacked by. A, I was saying I got attacked by a dog. Yeah. And that was the first thing I was like, "Fuck! I gotta go to the hospital during fucking coronavirus." Like that was the last thing I wanted to do. And I'm not worried about this shit. Yeah. You know, I'm a healthy individual. I got a strong immune system. Same. So, it, but that was my first worry. Like, fuck! I'm, they're gonna have to test me to go in there and all this bullshit. Luckily, I was able to go to urgent care. Yeah. And they just do a, a temperature check, and I passed that. Yeah. But like, I had anxiety about that, and I had to go there to go get patched up. You yeah. Know? And it, that's, like, definitely a, a mental health thing for a lot of people. And, like, I, I've been trying to figure out ways. Like, I've been talking to local government, like, hey, if I do this, can I open up? I've been saying my procedures. Because the thing is, a lot of the procedures they're putting out there for, um, like, hey, this is what gyms are, like, these businesses are going to have to do. It's stuff that I'm already doing. Yeah. So, like, why can't I just open and make things even say, like, you know, if, if you want me to have distancing and do bad classes only, you know, you, you linked me to Bedros Koulian, the founder or CEO of uh, Fit Body Bootcamp. You know, yeah. shout out to Bedros Koulian. That He's guy is... legit leader. He Yeah, fuck yeah. He got on Fox News and he talked about his Fox protocols. Business, right? Fox Business, yeah. To talk about his training place protocols. And, you know, I've been listening to that guy's story because he started his franchise during the 2008 recession. And he's been successful since. So, uh, I, I, me and Kevin talked about this a little bit the other day. It was like... Um, you know, making it through this, like we're gonna make it through this. I one of the things too, it's a benefit of it. I'm gonna continue doing virtual training. Yeah. We're gonna keep that up. Uh, we have our online, you know, our eight week course, our online course. If anybody that's out there wants to check that out, you can check it out at pmtlifestyle.com. Again, that's pmtlifestyle.com. Just click the eight week course, and you can get on there. Seven dollars for a one week trial. You know, and after that, you can choose your different enrollment options. Um, but you know, it's like, there's so many different opportunities that came out of this. True. And, uh, and, and one of the things that was, that was, you know, as a, as a business owner is figuring out like what, you know, like everybody is affected differently by this. Like we've talked to some people, we had some people who had family members pass away and they couldn't be in the hospital with them. Yeah. That's fine. And like, because of this, they're not allowed to. And you have people who uh, lost their jobs and they don't have any income. You have, uh, you know, other business owners that train with us that, like, you know, they're some of the first people like, hey, dude, I need to leave. I was like, I, to- I totally get it. Yeah. Because, uh, like, literally, it's, I'm a business owner too. Yeah. So um, one of those things that, like, I've been really trying to do is, you know, I, I wouldn't say put pressure on our local government to open up because you saw a lot of stuff like counties talking about, not wanting to obey governor, our governor's orders. They're ty- tyrannical orders, yes. Yeah. So They're constitutionally illegal. Yeah, and it's like, I the way I feel, without getting too political, is like people who are doing this stuff, like I said, I respect everybody's opinions on this. Like if you want to shelter in place, if you want to be outside, you want to just, I respect it 100%. You're not, if you're not trying to hurt somebody, you're not intentionally hurting somebody, you're intentionally trying to hurt somebody, and it's everything to do with your, you know, human right of freedom of movement. Cool. Your body, your choice. Exactly. So, um, when it comes in, that that's that's my opinion on it, and, and my how I feel about it. And I, you know, for me, by this point, we've been hurt financially so much with the academy that, like, for me, wanting to open up has nothing to do with money, and it has everything to do with some of our students' mental health. I know some students that have relapsed. I know some students who are former veterans that suffer from depression, and they tell me how much this helps them. So, 
like opening on small groups where you can only have five people there and we're distanced and we're practicing on bags separately. And like I've thrown out the idea of getting like the UV light. Um, uh, it's like basically something that sanitizes the air through our HVAC system. It's, it's expensive as fuck, but I'm like, dude, if I, I need it for these people, I'll, I'll get it. I don't care. Yeah. Um, you know, we got a new foot sanitizing station and stuff like that too, which I, I evolved before. Yeah. Uh, we're good if people wear like boxing and wrestling shoes. Yes. You can sanitize those even better now too, rather than just idea. wiping them down. Um, you know, be, when you enter and exit the mat, uh, you know, we, we're putting in another hand sanitizing station, like at the bathroom, we have, we have another hand sanitizer. Uh, you know, I'm implementing some of Bedros Koulian's uh, protocol he has for Fit Body Boot Camp in regards to like being responsible for wiping down the bathroom when you're in it and stuff like that too. Um, and in limiting the amount of people that are in there right now, which sucks because it's like we're not going to be able to, like, I, I put a survey out for our students and, you know, if, if you guys got it and you're listening to this, please just, just answer it. It's it's 100% anonymous unless you guys choose to put your name on it. Uh, we were talking about it before. We had somebody ask, is it really anonymous? Yes, guys. So because some of the questions on there are stuff like, hey, are you going to be training with us in the next 18 months? Because I foresee this financial impact lasting over 18 months uh, for, for what's going on right now. So I want to make sure that it's like, you know, if if we had to downsize into a smaller place for the people that are still with us. Yeah. You know, like uh-huh. I had to, to pivot into something else for those people uh, and make sure that we have an academy two years, 10 years from now. Yeah, because right now you're being deemed illegal. Yeah, you're well, illegal. If, if I open up, yeah, it's illegal. So... Um, upside down land yeah well it's like you know I, I talked with the mayor and like he's like hey you know like I, I understand because zoning and code enforcement and whatnot. he's like I have a business and I lost 50% of our income and I'm like well but also sir like all due respect you also get a check from the city for being mayor yeah so like different perspective yeah different perspective and you know like it's it's messy it's a messy situation I know that like our mayor I know he wants to try to figure out a way to open up yeah and but the thing is essentially our county right now from my understanding I'm not a politician not an epidemiologist not a biologist none of that shit all I know is that from my understanding is that if the county doesn't obey the governor's orders about how to open up what's going to happen is they can take away any federal disaster relief funding that the county would get which could bankrupt our county, and then that would thus make no businesses really exist. Might this event bankrupt our county anyways? I don't know. But like I said, I'm not an economist or anything like that. I don't want to get into that yeah. stuff, but I, literally I'm trying to do everything I can to open up. I've emailed our congressman. You know, I've emailed the state. I, I'm doing all this stuff to try to figure this out, guys. And so a lot of people are like reaching out and like, oh, like we feel so sorry for you. Hey, man, don't feel bad for me. I don't feel bad for me. I'm not. And then they're like, hey, don't worry. I'm not worried. You know, because I know this stuff's going to pass. We're going to be there in some capacity no matter what once this is over. Um, you know, if, if you guys are out there and you want to support, man, if you listen to this podcast, leave a review on Spotify, leave a review on iTunes. Uh, share it with your friend. Uh, you know, buy some merchandise. We have our online drop shipping stuff that we're doing right now. Um, you know, if you can continue paying something for your tuition, just continue paying too. That that helps. If you don't have money, free stuff. iTunes. Leave a review on iTunes. Leave a review on Spotify. Uh, leave a review on our Google Maps for Santa Barbara and Ventura. Because we've had, I don't know if you know this, Josh. I think I told you, you've had thousands of people come through our doors in Ventura. Yeah, I am well aware of that. And you know, I our goal is to always have like awesome experience for people. If you've been there, please leave a review on our Google uh, our Google page. 
you know, Muay Google page, leave a review. Because uh, that stuff matters. Like, a lot of people are like, oh, I, I know them. Everybody knows them. Yeah, you might know us, but other people moving to the area or looking for facilities to train at or these virtual programs, they don't know us. So they want to figure out a way uh, for us to be able to train. Okay? So uh, those are some free ways to do it. Just sharing it. You know, interact on our social media, at Poot Muay Thai. Uh, tag us in your stuff when you wear your shirts or when you're training at home. Uh, that's like a, you know, grassroots way to keep the academy alive and the academy spirit alive. Yeah. I, I'm just forever grateful for all the students that have come through the doors throughout the years. No matter what happens in this, you know, I had a lot of people like, hey, could you I'm sorry, I had to cancel. I'm like, hey, man, I totally get it. Like, there's no, like, bitter beer face. There's no me being mad. Nothing. Like, this affects people in so many different ways. And the rowdy we're faced with right now is, like, the one I'm faced with is going to be completely different than the person next to me. And Potentially. Yeah. Except right now. We're in practice very similarly. Yeah, yeah. Me and you. But the thing is... Um, for people that, listening. For people listening at home or anything like that. Any students, current, former, past, present, future. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't take it personal. Well, so. I miss all you guys. And for any of you guys training homies here, you guys are more fam than friends. Uh, we sweat together. We bled together. Yeah. We like cried together. Uh, I want to give a shout out to one of our students, uh, Heather Rudo. She's been, she's like been like helping share a lot of her stuff on social media. Uh, to her friends and stuff like that. She bought like a bunch of gifts for people, like shirts and stuff like that for her friends. Uh, and she's been trying to give them some intros to get them on like virtual training. So shout out to Heather. Uh, we really appreciate people like you and the support that you've been given. Uh, I've, I've done a private lesson. We need to schedule another private lesson on Zoom. Uh, and she came in and did the work, you know. And I, I and the people that are in our Zoom classes, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of you that are on there and a bunch of you that are supporting the Academy. And uh, I know I've written some notes for some of you guys. And uh, you share those on social media, and you didn't need to do that, but just I, I'm grateful for all of you, and um, you know for all the times that we've had at the academy and continue to grow. I had it's funny I had made a joke on social media that uh, worst case scenario I moved back to Norway. Yeah, <laughs> but I guess it got misconstrued. People I don't know. I, I put like a chili face emoji, like like, uh, like yeah, cold, saw, oh yeah, I saw. Wait, man, we're not. I'm not moving to Norway, man. But. Um, you know, my wife is from there. Yeah. So it's like, I said, like, worst case scenario, like, that's what I would do. Yeah, but right now, if you say anything about anything, people's imaginations are running wild with a conspiracy theories, <laughs> any number of things. I'm even a little... Well, maybe maybe I'm moving to Norway to install 5G. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I keep hearing Bill Gates online. He's getting smashed. Oh, people man. Are hating him. Like, he's trying to kill us all. Oh, <laughs> man, it's crazy. Meanwhile, I'm on Windows 10 right now, but... Yeah. Um, I guess uh, you know as soon as as soon as we can open, guys, you're gonna be the first to know. Uh, and you know things are gonna be a little bit different when we first open up, but you know I, I hope we can get back to what we were doing or something close to it. Uh, and I, I really feel like the training online has been really beneficial. Uh, I actually learned that I talked to Kevin about this. Technology is amazing when it comes into coaching. I'm able to do a ton of stuff with it, I didn't expect, uh, and that's what I learned from this. So. Very cool. Well, I guess we're going to wrap it about there. Yeah. And uh, we don't have an official date for you guys if you didn't catch that. We still do not know. There's no definitive answer. Yeah. Or Jonathan's being as proactive as possible through it. Uh, and, and not waiting for somebody to tell him what to do. Because I think that's going to be the main message for you guys listening. Yeah. Is that we're not going to be told with it. It's You guys, the community is going to have to be proactive as possible. Yeah. And next. And, and figure it out. And even the places that are being allowed to reopen. Some of the gyms are choosing not to open because they're like, it's going to change in two days. Yeah, true. So, like, the, some of the places, I think it was, like, Utah, they were allowed to open. And I was talking to a martial arts school owner, and they didn't open 
right away because two days later they changed new protocols and how they kept the protocols they had in place first, they actually would have been in violation and could have been fined. So weird. And their employees could have filed a suit with OSHA against them. So sketchy. So people don't understand the employer liability stuff too. It's like, hey, if I reopen, it might just be me and you and like yeah. my wife because of yeah. the employer stuff. Yeah, because you don't have to worry about people getting yeah. sued happy because in California, we love to sue it, and take advantage of the legal system here. It, I slipped well, on a banana peel and now you're going to pay for it. Well, I mean, I think that's what's great about martial arts. It teaches that personal responsibility stuff too. Definitely. So um, going into uh, going into that, but like, you know, like my, my team, if you're listening to this, man, I want you guys back so bad. I, I freaking miss all our coaches, our front desk team. I, I loved everybody. Yeah, we were really getting ready to rock and roll at that place. Real, a real good team finally yeah. happened. After, you know, I read that, you read that book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I read that book. It changed my life. Yeah, it wasn't just that. It that was, was, a, that was, that was a piece. It was a piece of it. For sure, though. Yeah. Important piece. And um, if anybody out there is like a management position, check that out. Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I can't remember who it's written by. But great book. It's easy to read too. I think it's like two hundred pages. Less than two hundred. Yeah, like one hundred fifty or something. Yeah. One hundred seventy-five. And part of like those one hundred seventy-five pages, or whatever, are worksheets. So um, definitely go check that out if you guys are on here and you're just in like work leadership position, or even if you have a family and you're having some family issues, like big family issues. Those those kind of things can help you troubleshoot that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, we're we're trying to figure out a way uh, and. What I'm seeing is that a lot of these people, like Bedris Koulian, he's realizing that we can't let the government set the protocols for what we're going to do because they're going to be unrealistic. Yeah. We need to set realistic expectations in order to be able to have people still be able to train because some of the stuff, they're not going to think about it. You know, he, his big push that he had was, hey, the boutique fitness in like martial arts places are different than a 24-hour fitness, LA fitness. Clearly. And uh, to push them to be separately categorized, like maybe we get, we become late phase two is what they would call it. Or early phase three. So keep my fingers crossed on that, guys. So uh, thanks for the time today, bro. Peace out. Boom. All right, everybody. Uh, again, don't forget to leave a review here on Spotify or on iTunes, wherever you're listening. Uh, drop us a line over at Muay Thai on Instagram. Uh, don't forget to check out PMT Lifestyle. We have some pre-sale stuff. At Coach Ralph, you made the Putin Tasso shirts. I know you dug those, huh? Never dug. Some, mm-hmm. some cool colors, too. It's like red, gold, black. It's funny. Sick tank talks. Yeah. We need more laughter this period of time. <laughs> yeah, Too much sure. seriousness. All right, bro. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Everybody have a great day.